I certainly am a reformed petrol head. So, you know, you haven't got the same oral experience as what you've got with a, you know, a, a nice V6 or a flat six or a V8, but instead you've got a different sound and you've got a different performance envelope and a different experience when you hit the throttle. I love one pedal driving, for example. So in electric vehicles, when you come off the throttle and what you've got then is the energy from the car going back into the battery to put some more energy back in. So you're not wasting it using the brakes. That's Eric Fairburn. He reckons we're very close to reaching a transformational tipping point. There'll soon be far more of us driving electric than cars with internal combustion engines. I'm Alex Goy and this is Audi Behind the Rings. Electric vehicles seem to have very suddenly landed in the public conscience. Just a few years ago, using the abbreviated term EV in even the most ardent of automotive circles would have been met with a slightly dismissive rolling of eyes, perhaps even a completely blank stare. Now the internet is awash with rave reviews and if you know where to look, you'd be hard pressed to miss the ever-growing number of electric cars on the road and charge points already installed at our homes, workplaces and roadsides. It feels like this has happened overnight, but this success story has been 10 years even more in the making, and it's only just beginning. Car manufacturers and infrastructure providers in the UK are now working towards the government's 2030 deadline for all new cars to be electrified. Anna Chudley is Audi UK's EV programs manager, and Eric Fairburn is the founder and chief executive of Podpoint, one of the country's leading providers of EV charging. I'm going to meet them to find out how our electrified future has all already begun. Eric, you, you founded Podpoint way back in 2009, so you were thinking way ahead of the game. You've been having conversations around electric vehicles for ages and ages and ages, and right now demand is spiking. The SMMT figures reflect that. Now pretty much everyone wants or is thinking about or having a conversation around an electric car. Why is that? Yeah, so I think, um, as he said, we hit uh, about this month, it was all, or last month, about 8% of new vehicles in the UK were, were fully electric. And I think that's the coming together of a few things. So various things have been solved. So really, electric vehicles now have the kind of range that everybody needs. So, you know, two or 300 mile range is normal across electric vehicles now. And um, on top of that, we've got a great choice. But perhaps the most important one is that we're getting towards the point where the electric vehicle now costs the same to buy as the internal combustion engine vehicle. Um, and what that really means is that we're heading to a point where not only is the car the same similar-ish price to buy, but it's significantly cheaper in terms of total cost of ownership. And I think what we will now see is we will now see that electric vehicles go from perhaps the unusual choice, you know, the base choice is I'll go for an internal combustion engine vehicle unless there's a specific reason that I want an electric vehicle. Over the next couple of years, I think that's going to flip on its head. And the default choice for the vast majority of people is going to be based on I'll take an electric vehicle. And it's only if you've got some exceptional circumstances that you're going to choose the old technology of the internal combustion car. Anna, you are Audi UK's EV programmes manager. So what was the thing that sold you on the concept of driving an EV? So for me, Alex, it was when I got to experience driving the electric vehicles and also when I got to understand more about climate change. It was a no-brainer for me. Um, I used to work in the Audi product team before my current role and I was really lucky to experience driving some of Audi's first electric cars several years ago. I remember the first time I got into an Audi e-tron, which was Audi's first electric vehicle. I was out in Germany in a left-hand drive e-tron, and I was really impressed on not only how the car looked, 
but on its performance, it was incredible. I was blown away and it was so much fun to drive and it had so much technology. And also, I think it was back in 2016 that I attended an Audi product and strategy workshop out in Germany. And there was a speaker that came and talked about the Paris Agreement and the facts about climate change. And it just brought it all home to me. It was then when I got to to really hear about Audi's electrification plans and product lineup. And I really got excited and I really wanted to be part of that. And um, honestly, it made me feel so proud to be working for a, for a company like Audi. I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting point you bring up there about, you know, these are massive conversations that are happening all over the world. It's not just David Attenborough bringing us the, the plight of a turtle with a with a straw up its nose. It's everybody's having these conversations. But how much of this change is being brought on by government legislation? Because in, in the UK, we we know that all new vehicles will have to be at least electrified by 2030, but battery electric only from 2035. What's what's the government's role in all of this, Anna? I think here in the UK, the government legislation has definitely been a huge driver. I remember back in 2018 when I was working on the launch of the Audi e-tron, there are a lot of people still not convinced that the automotive industry would move into electric. And then when that announcement went out, it really got huge media coverage and got everyone talking, which was great. Um, and it also gave great confidence to car manufacturers like Audi, who who had been ramping up their electrification. And also it gave confidence to those investing in the UK charging infrastructure. And what's great is also that the government's announced further investment. So last year they said, I think it was um, 1.3 billion to support the charging infrastructure and over 500 million into grants to incentivize consumers to make the switch. If you look at Norway, they were the first to really put these um, legislations and incentives in place. And their market now is 80% of, of the market is electric. And it just shows how important government legislation is. And consumers' attitudes have changed. They're aware that we've got this target and they are aware that electric is the future. I really think the government's done a great job over 10 years. I mean, as you've been saying, Anna, you know, particularly the 2030 ban, that's just a sort of, you know, really put some focus on and said everyone's got to really stare at that and make that happen. But I'm actually personally a believer that the technology was going to get us there anyway. So I remember in, uh, in early on in PodPoint's life, we had a graph which got us to almost 100% adoption of electric vehicles by 2030, way before the government said that. And the reason for that was what we were doing is we were watching what was happening to the underlying cost of batteries. Um, and historically, batteries have been relatively expensive to, to store the amount of energy that we need to make a two or 300 mile range electric vehicle. But over 10 years, they've reduced in price 10 times. And what we're heading to now is that we've got battery costs, which is meaning that electric vehicles are either very slightly more expensive to buy than internal combustion engines or heading to the same price. And it doesn't look like the cost curve of batteries has stopped reducing. So I think what we will see over the next three, four, five years is that the electric vehicle will not just get to price parity with the internal combustion engine. It will become cheaper to buy up front and it will be significantly cheaper to run once you've bought it than the internal combustion engine. And at that point, irrespective of the government's position on this, it becomes the logical choice for the vast majority of consumers. The electric vehicle just simply becomes a cheaper, better product than the original internal combustion engine vehicle. And on that basis, just on a technology and a cost analysis, I think you get to all vehicles being electric around 2030 anyway. So I'm strongly appreciative of the government sort of stepping up and putting that in the front page of all the papers to get everybody to understand that. But I think the underlying technology was heading for us getting there anyway. I mean, so... 
you know, well, one, wow, the, 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 the maths was done early enough. It's like, the government said it, but we were there before. We had this down. Don't you worry. Pod points on it. I suppose it, you, you could view it kind of like any technology. At, at the beginning, the early adopters do bear the brunt of, of the cost. Like if you look at consumer goods, like a, a 4K TV, what, two, three years ago was hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds. And now you can pick one up for couple hundred quid like the technology will become cheaper become more accessible so your your prediction of a hundred percent uptake by 2030 is it's staggering but should happen one of the issues that we do have with evs at the moment or with uh, making the switch is presumably infrastructure getting getting car manufacturers and infrastructure providers to make the experience easy and frictionless how can we make that easy for people in fewer than 10 years? Well, I think the answer is we've got a lot of work to do there, quite clearly, Alex. So, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been building the infrastructure with, with, with some other companies and a lot of colleagues, of course, for, for, for nigh on 12 years. And we've made a lot of progress in that time. But of course, what we haven't got is all of the infrastructure that we're going to need into the future. And we've got to build that infrastructure in parallel with the rollout of electric cars. And, and, we're, and we're doing that very rapidly. And we do that, you know, as, as an independent company, but we also do that uh, in partnership with people like the Volkswagen Group. So, you know, there's been a big, big rollout going with one of the UK retailers, Tesco, uh, which is Podpoint working with Volkswagen, working with Tesco to get a large number of their big stores having all of the charging infrastructure put in. But the other thing to remember is that whereas where we've come from an internal combustion engine world, where the only place that we fill up was typically a petrol station, that was all of the energy transfer, wasn't it, in history? The electric vehicle charging ecosystem looks very, very different. And there's, in fact, four areas that we have to solve. The first one is home charge. So the vast majority of people who've got electric vehicles today have some form of ability to charge at home. And what that tends to do is cover most of their charging occasions. So you wake up every single morning and your car has been on charge and it's got 200 or 300 miles of range straight away as you get into it. That covers nearly all of your usage case. Most of us don't need more than a 200 or 300 mile range in any given day. So for the vast majority of people, home charge alone gets them most of what they need. On top of that, obviously, we need to build workplace charging, whether that's at the place that, you know, when we all go to work to um, as, as members of staff or whether that's the fleets of cars. And we've got to continue building that. And then the third part is we've got to build destination charging. And this is the charging that happens once you're already at a location. So we firmly believe that it's extremely rare that you drive somewhere specifically to put energy into your electric car. Instead, what you do is energy flows in whilst you're busy. So whether you're going to your local gym chain to, 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 to work out and your car charges while you're doing that, or you're going to the supermarket to buy your weekly shop, or you're going to the National Trust to have a nice day out, you're plugging your car in whilst it's not being used. And the experience then is what you find is that your car is full every time you get back to it. So now we haven't just got 200 or 300 miles of range when we wake up in the morning. We've got two or 300 miles of range every time we get back to our car. And that really covers nearly all of the need state. Occasionally, what we need to do is we need to charge our car. So if we, you know, I'm, I'm in uh, the south of England at the moment, if I wanted to go up to Scotland, that's more than the range of my electric car. So once I get to, you know, to, to Manchester, I'm going to have to charge my electric vehicle reasonably quickly to enable me to move on to the next journey. That's actually the only usage case where we really use something that feels a bit like a petrol station model. And in fact, we put some numbers on it. We say 97% of all charging happens away from those locations. But what you see is people coming and looking at the market who haven't yet got an electric vehicle. They haven't sampled that. They haven't experienced that. 
So increasingly, they're looking for, show me the petrol stations with all of these rows of electric vehicle charging points. And the answer is there is a little bit of need for that, but it's 3%. So Anna, how does, how does Audi fit in to this picture? How is Audi making it easy? Um, we appreciate that obviously charging infrastructure is is a, a worry for a lot of people, especially those that are making longer journeys. And it is something that is going to improve as huge amount of investment. So we've got our joint venture with Ionity and the charging stations are being put across the UK at the moment. And the charging speeds are incredible, up to 350 kilowatts. So basically on one of these charges, you can charge an Audi e-tron in around 30 minutes. 80%. So we have our, our infrastructure. It's all technically in place. It's all there. It's ready to go. How do I find it all? Um, how do I then pay for my electricity when I'm out and about? And is there, you know, in the future, will I need a load of membership cards? Do I need, you know, a card for this and a card for that? Or can I just tap and go? How does it all work? Is there, what's Audi doing to make my life easier? So you can find the charging stations actually in the navigation of the cars. But we also have the My Audi app. Um, what's great, you can see the charging stations on, on the map and you can plan your journey before you, you go off. Um, and you can even send your journey to the car so that when you get into the car, it's already preloaded into the navigation. You can access lots of remote features. So, for example, you can see the status of your, your battery charge level. You can find your car if you've forgotten where you parked it. You can use the preconditioning feature to turn on the climate control from the comfort of your home. With regard to how to charge, um, we have the e-tron charging services. So basically you get a, a charge card with the car um, and this is for, for both our plug-in hybrids and fully electric models and it's really simple and easy to pay with um, that charge card. What's great about the card is that you, you have two tariffs. You've got the city tariff and the transit tariff. So the only difference between the two is that the transit tariff includes heavily discounted ionity rates. Both come with fixed prices. It makes it really transparent and easier for, for users. We With the transit tariff, we offer the first 12 months free for new e-tron owners and also give £150 credit towards their electricity to help them get started. Um, and at the moment, the card covers around 50% of the UK public charging infrastructure and includes 18 charge point operators, including Podpoint Ionity. And hopefully next, um, later on this year, we'll have around 80% of the UK public charging infrastructure just with this card and the MyAudi app. But also the MyAudi app is great for, for using at home with the Podpoint charger. You can set the timer on. So um, I don't know, Alex, if you know, but we've got a partnership with Octopus Energy. So they offer 100% green tariffs designed specifically for electric vehicles. And as an Audi customer, you get up to 5,000 green miles of electricity included when you make the switch. A lot of people don't realise how much electricity an electric vehicle consumes. Um, I noticed it when I got my home electricity bill come through. But you just got to remember that it's cheaper than going to a petrol station. And when you have a tariff like the one with Octopus Energy, you know, if you time it right with the charging, you can get it as low as two pence per mile, which obviously over a year is significant and, and it's better for the environment. And then we've got another app called the EV and Me app. And this one is for, for anyone that's interested in finding out whether an electric vehicle is right for them. It's free to download. It's also very simple to use. So for you, Alex, 
if you want to double check your running costs versus an Audi electric model, the app will give you an estimate and then it will track your journeys to give you a better estimate. And you can learn everything about charging, range, benefits and incentives, as well as watch videos on, on how to charge. It's, it's a really useful tool. So it'll, it'll use my data to, to tell me how I could be doing better or how I could be doing differently in an EV and then show me how I could work my EV. That sounds really smart, actually. <laughs> sounds, that's clever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna, you, uh, you, you, you mentioned cost and you mentioned sort of that it is cheaper. So, Eric, it's, it's a simple question. Um, and one that I'm I'm absolutely positive you will give an amazingly wonderful nuanced answer to. Is it cheaper overall to go electric rather than internal combustion? So I think in terms of uh, cost of ownership, Alex, then um, even if the electric vehicles are a little bit more expensive today, over the lifetime of the vehicle, the electric vehicle today is significantly cheaper. But if we just talk for a minute about once you've got your electric vehicle in Anna's case, so, so what she mentioned, of course, is your electricity bill is going to inevitably go up, right? So a typical electric vehicle driver uses twice as much electricity as they did before they got their electric vehicle. That's about normal. And um, But what you've got to remember, of course, is you have zero petrol bill or diesel bill, of course. So overall, your total transport costs drop significantly. And we can put some numbers around that. So if we take a normal uh, internal combustion engine doing 40 miles to the gallon, so, you know, pretty normal, uh, reasonable um, sort of performance. And we're nearly six quid a gallon now in the UK for uh, petrol, aren't we? So, so that works out that we've got something like 15p a mile on fuel costs alone. And if you change that into electric vehicles, even if you aren't very clever about how you buy your electricity, you just sort of pay the standard rate for electricity. You're about 5p a mile. So you're three times cheaper per mile just based on electricity than, than using petrol. If we do what Anna talks about and we use time of use tariffs, so these are the tariffs which typically are, are much cheaper overnight when there's an excess of electricity being generated. You can buy that much, much cheaper. And then you can be at the 2p a mile that Anna's talking about. We're now seven times cheaper per mile for driving an electric vehicle versus a, a normal internal combustion engine vehicle. So these things aren't a little bit cheaper. They are massively cheaper to run. So essentially, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. A big yes. <laughs> yes. Big, big yes. Um, let's talk about the things that, that people get a little nervous about. So one thing that, you know, we, we've we've touched on it uh, before, Eric, you, you're saying that, you know, even base EVs come with two, three hundred mile range. But a lot of people get nervous, like they, they worry that if for some spurious reason they have to do 500 miles immediately. But what if I haven't charged enough? How will I ever get there? Maybe, you know, they, they believe they have a slightly more exciting lifestyle than they actually have. Um, what's the reality? Do we really need to be that worried about range and charging? Do we, do we need to consider it quite as much? I, my, my personal view is, is, you know, what, what you've described there is an emotional rather than a realistic outcome for the vast majority of us, right? So most of us don't drive 500 miles on a whim, um, you know, every single day. Uh, and actually what you get is if you talk to most electric vehicle drivers before they get involved, what's most important in terms of charging? Oh, I need access to a great big rapid charge network all across the country. And you talk to them after they've had that car for three months. What's great about your electric vehicle? Oh, it's full every morning. I never have to go to a petrol station. It's a wonderful experience. It's just magically full of energy every 
every single morning. So your point is fair that you do need to have that that ability to charge your car on route places. But actually, it's very rare that we do it. Um, and actually, if your car was full when you left, you've probably driven for five hours before you need to fill your car up. You know, if you've got 300 miles of range, that's five hours of normal motorway driving. And to be honest, A, we need to visit the toilet and B, we need a snack after five hours. And that sort of time, 30 minutes that Anna was talking about, is the exact dwell time we all spend at the motorway services. By the time we've nipped to the facilities, grabbed ourselves a coffee from Starbucks or Costa, got back to our car, in reality, we've spent 20 or 30 minutes doing that. And your car's 80% full again, ready to go for another four or five hours. I, I, I do I do often wonder when people say, oh, well, you know, it'll take, I've got to stop for 40 minutes after I've driven. That's ridiculous. It takes five minutes to, to, to refuel my car. It's like, I love driving. I, I am a driving person. That's my jam. But the idea of sitting on a motorway for four or five hours without getting out and having a leg stretch, it's just maddening. Are these people distance drivers? Is, is this fun for them? How do they how do they make it work? And one of the other things that, that crossed my mind while we were talking about this is people you say they, they worry, oh my car might not be charged or it'll take ages to charge, or what what if it's not full? My car's parked outside and I know that the tank isn't full. I don't end every journey with a trip to a petrol station. That's it. it's a really abnormal behaviour. So is it perhaps, you know, this the the well you you said uh, an emotional response. How do we how how do we get around that, do you reckon? I think that there's multiple parts to that. One is you have conversations like this. So the conversation we're having here today is beginning to explain to people the experience of what, what having an electric vehicle is like. You also get a network effect, right? So the more people have got electric vehicles, the more of your peer group are talking to you about the electric vehicle experience. And hence, the more likely you are to understand that experience when you finally get round to buying an electric vehicle personally. On top of that, we've got to do the other thing. We've got to build out more charging infrastructure. We've got to make sure that people see charging points at motorway service stations and at petrol stations. Ironically, I don't think they'll get used all that much. So motorway services will, but generally speaking, petrol stations. But they are very important to enable people to have the confidence to move in to buy electric vehicle charging. You know, we're putting uh, rapid charging um, fairly widely across the Tesco estate. And of course, it, it, it does get widely used. But it also has an effect of it just is visible. Um, and that starts encouraging people. And people start thinking, well, you know, when I do want to go long journey, where can I charge? Oh, every Tesco's. Where's there a Tesco? Everywhere. Um, so you're really starting to get to the point that people are just knowing where to find these things. And also learning that I don't just find the charging point in a petrol station. They're all over the place, but not in the same places we initially find. This is just an education piece. And I think we're really getting to the point where, well, what are we at the moment? 8% of all new cars are being electric. The noise and the voice of those electric vehicle drivers is educating the masses. And that helps us ramp up the adoption curve really quickly, I think. So what we've got to remember is that the electric vehicle today is not the correct solution for 100% of the people in the UK. The electric vehicle is the, is the right solution for a certain percentage of people, a significantly bigger percentage than it was last year and bigger than it was the year before. But this is the same as all technological rollouts. You know, when the iPhone first came to market, that wasn't the right phone for the vast majority. But what happened was then the feature set and the, and the technology improved and the customer understanding improved. And then you get to the point where it you know, rapidly becomes the right solution for a large number of people. So something like 60 to 70% of the population, the electric vehicle is, you know, by all rational metrics, the best solution for them today. But we're not at 100%. We've got to build a lot more technology, a lot more range of cars, a lot more charging infrastructure to get to 100%. It's safe to say that Audi is doing rather well when it comes to uh, premium EVs uh, in this here Europe. The e-tron GT has been a, a huge milestone for Audi. It's receiving a lot of love. Which models are you particularly proud of, Anna, in your fleet, in your flock, shall we say? 
<laughs> well, my baby was the Audi e-tron. I worked really hard on, on the launch of that model and it brings me joy when I see it on the road. And like you said, the e-tron GT has been a massive milestone for, for the Audi brand. The car is absolutely stunning. And the RS version is more powerful than the R8. It's got incredible performance up to 646 PS with the launch control. It does a 0 to 62 in 3.3 seconds. It's now our flagship model and we're very proud of it. And it's had amazing reviews. But we've also just launched the, the Q4 e-tron, which has a more affordable price point. It's around £40,000. Um, and we're actually also in the process of launching the Sportback version. Um, the range is up to 316 miles, has a lot of high-tech features. So, for example, it's got a new optional head-up display that uses augmented reality to project at the front for the driver to see it on the road ahead. The, the beauty also about the, the Q4, it's got the, the new modular electric drive toolkit, MEB, which is really versatile and it offers the ability to offer different battery sizes in the same battery pack, which means more flexibility and that you can choose the size based on your, your range and budget. A bit like your, your phone where you can choose which, which size memory you want depending on your, your needs and budgets. So lots of exciting products that we're really proud of. I think it's exciting because of the breadth that's now happening, isn't it? So, you know, whether you want the Q4 as a sort of smaller SUV or you want the uh, the current e-tron at the larger size or you go on to the GT and you're looking at the performance super stylish coupe, suddenly we've got all this choice of different electric vehicles coming to market. They're all great product. They're all fast. Yeah, I mean, they're all charged quickly. They've all got great range. But it's the breadth what I think is really starting to help the market now. Whichever segment of the market you're looking at, there's a really good EV choice starting to come to market now. If we move to sort of one end, one end of that breadth, I like pretty things that go really fast. That's why I do what I do. Uh, that excites me. So, Eric, am I going to have as much fun driving an EV as I do an R8 or an RS6? Like, is that going to be an option for me? I, th I think it is absolutely, but I think you also have to be be realistic. You know, are you going to have the supercar experience in your in your sort of large family SUV? And the answer, of course, is probably not. So you've got to kind of look at horses for courses. But when you're up at the um, you know, the RS version of the GT, that in itself is a wonderful driving tool. And I always think it's quite interesting. So uh, what you love is the scalpel sharp handling. You love the throttle response. You have all of the experience of the you know the G force that, that car can put onto you. But actually, electric vehicles are beginning to show. That that they can do all of that and more. We're not in a position now where the electric vehicle is struggling to keep up with the performance of the internal combustion engine. We're at the point where the internal combustion engine can't get anywhere near the real world performance of an electric vehicle. The throttle response is absolutely instant. Whenever you want the power, it's absolutely there. And what we're now seeing is the car companies bring the more driver focused vehicles to the market. And the reviews are absolutely stellar. You know, I've obviously kept an eye on what's going on with the RS version of the, uh, of the GT. And, and the, the critical journalists, even the real sort of driver focused ones are just coming back saying this thing is awesome. And that's just the beginning of what we're going to do with high performance cars in electrification. Erica, am, am, I, am I right to say I, I, I seem to be detecting that you were something of a, a, a petrol head, previously a petrol head, I guess. I, I certainly am a reformed petrol head. So I'm a genuine car enthusiast. So I keep very much up to date with everything that's going on in the car world. I very much enjoy driving. Um, but I get, very, I, I, I get a subtly different enjoyment out of driving electric vehicles, but I still love driving electric vehicles. So, you know, you haven't got the same oral experience as what you've got with a, you know, a, a nice V6 or a flat six or a V8, but instead you've got a different sound and you've 
you've got a different performance envelope and a different experience when you hit the throttle. I love one pedal driving, for example. So in electric vehicles, when you come off the throttle and um, what you've got then is the energy from the car going back into the battery to put some more energy back in. So you're not wasting it using the brakes. And that's a great experience. You get um, you know deceleration into the corners without having to come onto the brake, for example. So there's different things which I really love. And the fact that whatever speed you're at, you're, you don't have gears in an electric vehicle. You could never be in the wrong gear. You've got maximum torque available to you anytime you want it. And it's not coming in a couple of seconds after you hit the loud pedal, it's going immediately. So I find that the experience of driving electric vehicles is extremely pleasurable. I really do enjoy it. And, and what we of course see, as we said, what we're now seeing is that we can get to a level of performance that we could never have dreamt of. You know, we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, a reasonable um, expectation that your car does not to 60 in three point something seconds. So as a driver, I'm extremely excited about electric vehicles. And I think we're just starting to see the driving end of the world adopting electric vehicles. So, you know, we've got the GTRS and there is a suite of really interesting driver focused electric vehicles coming to market now. So you're talking about how uh, how power is, is instant and how you enjoy EVs. So a question for both of you, really. How has driving an EV changed the way you drive? How has it changed that, that behaviour? You, do you find you're more cautious? Do you find you drive faster or like how, how has it changed how you get around? I feel I'm more calm because um, they're so quiet and I don't realise how fast I'm going sometimes. I'm like more conscious of checking my speed, but I find it really kind of calming and enjoyable to be in an electric car. I think, unfortunately, Alex, the fact that I'm now in my mid-40s and I have three children in the back and a dog is probably having a larger impact on my behaviour in, in my car than, than, than that. But but what I would say on a sort of more practical point really is when you're an internal combustion engine vehicle, if you, you know, you go through the, you know, the 30 limit and you see the road opening up in front of you and you've got the uh, de-restricted sign, you know, you had to row down the box and do an awful lot of preparation to get that car ready to go and, uh, you know, have some fun with. But with an electric vehicle, it's just ready all of the time. You've got all of the torque going to the wheels whenever you want it. You don't have to think about any of those additional things so you can get straight into the action of driving that car and enjoying that car i do accept that it is a little bit different i don't think different is wrong though riding a horse is great fun right but it's nothing like driving an internal combustion engine an electric vehicle is a little bit different again but it's great fun and just the fact that you've got that enormous breadth of ability as anna said you know a lot of the time most of us are driving around and we appreciate the fact our electric car is gentle uh, you know it's, it's quiet and it's refined and we can drive it on one pedal without having to mess around with the brake and things but if we do want to use the performance, there's no change that's required in that vehicle. You just hit the throttle and you've got all of the power there. So I think it's a really great driving experience. I really do. I want to touch on something we talked about earlier and how people are looking at how their products are being made, what they buy, the impact that it has. Anna, am, am I right in saying that sustainability is literally woven into the actual fabric of an Audi electric car? Yes, you're right, Alex. It's literally the case. Um, on the e-tron GT, the carpeting and floor mats are made with this really innovative material called Econile. And it's made from recycled fishing nets and recycled plastic that was fished from the oceans. Um, we also offer a leather-free interior and our factory in Belgium, where we um, produce the e-tron and e-tron Sportback, is built in the world's first CO2 neutral factory something that we're really proud of and I visited the factory a few years ago and it was really impressive um, people might think that producing cars is very dirty and oily in the factories but it wasn't the case in this factory it was so clean and it was full of high tech with lots of autonomous robots everywhere 
Um, and our factory in Hungary has also achieved net carbon neutrality. 70% of the heat is generated by geothermal energy, and it's the largest solar rooftop in, in Europe. And it's rolling out across all our sites. By 2025, all our factories will be CO2 neutral as well. So it's not just the car, it's it's the whole production process. We're looking at recycled materials and looking how we can protect the environment. I mean, you you, you had me at robots, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one, one final one for each of you. Looking ahead, what is it that you're going to be looking at or working especially on to make sure that driving EVs is the best option for everyone? How how do we go from where we are now, not being right for, for 100% of the people, to making it right for everybody? So from, from my perspective... Obviously, we, we've touched base about the education side. So we're looking at um, what it is that we can provide our customers to better understand the benefits of electric. We've also mentioned partnerships. So we will continue to, to work with Podpoint and, and invest in the UK charging infrastructure and expand the e-tron charging service to make it more accessible for, for, for everyone with regards to the, the UK charging infrastructure. But we're also right now looking at how to improve the customer journey. So, so my colleagues and I are looking at how we can make the switching to electric a more enjoyable one, because it does become a little bit overwhelming when you're looking to, to buy an electric vehicle. There's a lot more things that you need to consider in the whole purchase um, versus a, a petrol or diesel car. It can be very complex. There are a lot of things that put people off as the, the barriers that we discussed. Um, so we're looking at how we can ensure giving customers all the information in a simple and engaging way um, will help them with the switch. Dana's doing a great job getting the cars to market and uh, hopefully Podpoint will continue to do a great job getting the charging infrastructure ready for all of those cars to come. So I think we've each got our role to play in this. Um, but but speaking, I guess, on my bit, the charging bit, what we're really seeing is, is companies like Podpoint getting to scale now. And we're not the only people rolling out the charging infrastructure, as, as Anna rightly pointed out. Um, but also in terms of getting to scale means we can do this at the sort of size that we need to to enable this mass adoption of electric vehicle. We're also seeing capital flow into this and building that charging infrastructure has a significant cost associated with it. So the fact that we've got um, you know, businesses now that are extremely well funded and really investing heavily into the charging infrastructure is really good. So I think that you will see not just um, increasing electric vehicle charging, but an increasing rate of that rollout. So every single month we're putting more charging infrastructure out than we did the previous month. And you plot that forward and you just see an immense amount of charging infrastructure going really, really quickly. So I'm really excited about what the future holds. There's some great electric vehicle cars out already, some more really great ones coming in the short-term pipeline and I really think the charging infrastructure is now accelerating really really quickly and hence we've got everything set up to get to all cars are electric by 2030. There's a big electric snowball happening and it's not going to get smaller by the sounds of things. Eric, Anna, thank you both so much for your time. It's been mega. Thank you Alex. Thank you Alex, that was great fun. A massive thank you to Anna Chudley and Eric Fairburn for their time. As you heard from both of them, electric vehicles aren't just a pipe dream for the future, they're very much a present day reality. But what else do we still have to look forward to in 10, 20, even 50 years time? Well, join me next time when I'll be filling your mind with images of shared autonomous cars that communicate with other vehicles and pedestrians to make your journey super safe and efficient. 
hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this right now so that that crystal ball gazing episode lands on your device the moment it's available. You can leave a rating and review while you're there too, if you like as well. Until next week, thanks for listening and I'll catch you very soon. 